You are listening to Down Home. I know you've heard the old African proverb that it takes a village to raise a child. When you think about it, it's very true. As a child grows, they are raised around the values and morals of the entire village, not just what's going on at home. Jay and I had the benefit of being raised in a black community that took this to heart. This week, we talk with one of the mentors that played a big part in the village that raised us, community advocate and lifelong educator, Melinda Day. In our conversation, we talk about her life in the church and the effects of gentrification in the north end of Halifax. I'm Derek Wise, and on behalf of Jay Jones, welcome to Down Home, the Nova Scotian experience from two black men. Hello. Hi, Melinda. It's Derek. How you doing? I'm good, thanks. Hi. 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 I'm going to bring Jay into the call here. Just give me two seconds. Uh-huh. Okay. Jay Jones, you you there? I'm here. Yeah. Yeah, we're here. All right. Hi, Melinda. How are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good. All right. So anyway, how's your day going today? It's not too. It's not too bad. Like I said, you know, the weather's crazy, so we just go go with this stuff. It's um really um messy up there, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's uh, one of those days when you go, you're in, and you want to just stay in, I guess. <laughs> yeah. True. Oh, true. Not much going on up there. No. It's a lot of ice, eh? Oh, really? And then rain. Ice and rain. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's really messy. Um, now, do you still go to, um, it's, is it called, it's called New Horizon Church now, right? Yeah, it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're still going? Yeah, I'm a deacon in the church now. Oh, okay. That's awesome. Yeah. But there's there's yeah. probably been some uh, uh, some changes there, like the, the in the in the way that um, like there's the the people that are going, like all the uh, like me and Jay, we haven't been in Halifax for the longest time. Like all those old legacy families that used to go to old uh, uh, old Cornwallis Street, there there's probably not too many people left, is there? Well, there's their their children. Be honest with you, their children and young children are there now, right? Yeah. Um, and the grand, yeah, their children and grand. Like, but there, there's a lot of new families, of course, but there's a lot of the old families that are still going, and they come from the um from um you know all over. They come from Halifax, Spryfield, Margaret Park, Darkness. You know, they they travel into the community. Not so much, not so much all live in the community. So there's a number that are still here in the community, but there's a number that moved up but still attend um, the church. But our church has been, uh, we've been out of our actual church building for the last four years, four years. We were thinking we would be out for two years because we, we've done extensive renovations and repairs. Right? Oh. And then came COVID in the middle of it all. Yeah. 
And then we had to change, yeah, we also changed um, our contractor. We had to change the contractor. So that put us back and a few other things and money and put us back. But uh, we're right at the end now because um, within the next week or two, we're going to be entry, finally entering our church. So we're looking forward to that. Yeah. Oh, so you actually haven't been in the building for that long. Oh, my goodness. No, we have, yeah, we haven't been in the building. It hasn't been in, we've been in, um, there's another church down on Barrington Street. It's, um, it was a, um, it is a, a United Church. And they contacted our pastor. Our pastor is now Reverend Rhonda Britton. And they contacted her a couple of years ago and her, but our, our dilemma, and they offered their church to us. So, yeah, so we've been worshiping there on two years. Uh, 12 o'clock on Sundays, we have our service. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. That's, that's good yeah, that everyone yeah, was that's able what's to... been going on. That's good the congregation was able to stay together, though. Yeah, they were. Mm-hmm. They were. Now, now, growing up... We lost a lot of people. Sorry, go ahead. We lost a lot of our elders during COVID. We lost a lot of our elders during COVID. Really? Um, it was it was very very hard on this community. Um, we lost elders not only in the church but in the community. Yeah. So we um, and I know you heard um, about the nursing care homes, right? Yeah. And uh, quality of care and how you know when COVID hit, a lot of the homes didn't have what they needed, and the one in particular that was um, affected the most happened to be the one in Northwood where, where all our people were. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we started seeing people drop off. Like it was bad. <laughs> we were, we were, you know, we were sad and we were scared to even pick up the phone. Yeah. Because it was so, it was happening like that. It was just happening like that. You know, yeah. Mrs. Upshaw was gone. Mrs. Tony and his mother, he's the MLA down here. Mm. He, she died. Linda Carvery's son and Linda Nelson's son, Eric, died. Um, Mrs. Upshaw uh, died. <laughs> you know, oh, it just went. Mrs. Um, Jahalia Smith died. Um, Mrs. Geraldine Parker died. Oh, my goodness. Uh, Mrs. Beals from Union Square died. Like, we were just boom, boom. Mrs. Marlene Adams, Patterson, uh, Carmen, and them guys' his mother. Yeah. Um, she died. Oh, you guys, it was, it was like, oh, we were just steady grieving. And we were at Mrs. Um, we were at a point where, you know, it was shut down. So you couldn't even visit one another. You couldn't grieve with one another. You couldn't go and do anything to comfort one another. So a lot of families were just doing whatever they could. Yeah. By themselves, COVID took it. Yeah, it took a tremendous toll on our community. Yeah, yeah. I, I had yeah. I had no idea so many of the elders passed during that time period. Yeah, yeah. That's mm-hmm. a whole nother, really, and really another story. It really is in terms of um, many of us have been asked to speak about what happened to us, right? We've been doing, I do, I've done a lot of interviews and other people as well mm-hmm. in terms of what happened to us during COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And then, of course, you knew about the the shooting, you know. Then we remember that mass shooting down here. Yeah. Yes, yes. 
Yeah, yeah. So there, there we were, you know, shootings, deaths. <laughs> oh gosh, we were having a real hard time in this yeah. province for quite a while. Yeah. Yeah. Now, now yeah. growing yeah. up, growing up, me and Jay remember you as one of the the neighborhood mentors, like really, really solid presence in the uh, community. Uh, and back then, you still had a you had a big involvement in the church. I remember you were the the choir leader, and yeah. also yeah. your also your uh, involvement in education. Uh, for our listeners, can you just break it down for us and tell us what you were involved in back in the day? Yeah. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, I was. Um, I was a. I was. I was always a community advocate. I guess I would say. I. I started. And uh, to be honest with you, we started when we were in our teens, and your mom was one of those many people that was uh, in the in the trenches as well, right, as a chandler. And but anyhow, I started when I was in my teens. Um, for instance, when we went to uh, Queen Elizabeth High School, um, you know, there were no black presence in any of the uh, sororities or any of the extracurricular activities and groups and stuff like that. So a number of us decided that we were going to break some of these barriers. And uh, we tried out for something as simple as there were no black cheerleaders and there wasn't going to be as far as they were concerned. So seven of us tried out, and four of us made it. So we were, quote, the QEH's first black cheerleaders. <laughs> never had any cheerleaders. It was 1971, 72, something like that. Right. But we did things like that. Um, as I got older and I, I went on to university and got my BED, I became a school teacher. And then um, I remember... Some years later, I think I was probably in my late 20s, early 30s, when my dad approached me about the uh, Black Leonard's Advisory Committee because of the um, racism in, in the education system. So I was involved in, in, uh, in that. I was, I was one of the, uh, probably the second youngest person to serve on that board because everybody on that board was um, much older than me at the time. They were in their, well, then it was late 50s and 60s, right? And then there was me, and I was in, like I said, late 20s, early 30s, and there was a young man, uh, Reverend Wallace Smith's son, Jonathan Smith. He was the other young man that served with the Black Learners Advisory Committee, and they prov we provided the Black Report on Education, three-volume report, so... We still very much have that today, and everything that's happening happened as a result of the Black Report and the Black Educators Association had a great impact as well, especially. I was a member of the Black Educators Association. I was one of their first, um, executive directors. I was seconded from uh, the Halifax School Board for five years, and I was the executive director. And then in the later years, I became the president of um, the Black Educators Association. But during all of this, one of the things that I loved the most, I always loved being with young people, helped keep me young as I am. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> but I always loved, I always, I always loved being with kids. I always loved being with younger people. And I loved being around older people. I was just, 
you could see me at this level, and you could see me real up here with the, you know, 70 and 80 year olds, and I was just perfectly fine. Because I always yeah. love to listen and listen, you know, listen for, um, wisdom and, and guidance and, and the history stuff, you know, like what you guys are doing today kind of thing. So I, one of the things I, I went to the United States many years ago and I saw this children's choir and youth choir and I uh, saw what they were doing and everything like that. And I remember coming back and I told our pastor at that time, it was Reverend J.C. Mack, and I said, Reverend Mack, uh, I would really like to start a youth choir. I think this church and community needs some uh, youth and, and, choir and youth and ministry and choir ministry. That would be a great way of reaching young people. And I yeah. tell you, that choir went on for how many years, you guys? I, I think we were there for at least 20-some years. Yeah. We were. Because these young, they're all your age and younger now, you know, and when you think about the number of people that came through that choir, that's a whole nother topic too, you guys, because a lot of them, you know, are like doing some exceptional things in their, in their, not only their personal lives, but in the lives of the community in Nova Scotia and further, like, you know, I mean, the Shantae Grants, right? And, uh, you know, so many, I'm just calling her name, but Susie, look at Susie Gango, who is now Susie Hansen, you know? Uh, Joanna Lewis, you know? <laughs> I mean, I could just name, just go on and on. Uh, you know, Alicia, we have school teachers, we have lawyers, we have poets, uh, we have, you know, community ad advocates and activists and, and, uh, oh, we have uh, teachers, we have a number of people, mm -hmm. um, who came through that choir. And uh, we we rehearsed every Friday night. Every Friday night, I might be late getting in there because I was always coming from some other meeting or maybe coming from school. And then I used to, you know, teach school in various uh, um, various uh, um, community. So I I would always bring other kids with me. So I bring I was I remember being in Spryfield and I was teaching out there. And there was a lot of kids who would never normally get to church or get to, let alone sing in a, in a youth choir, you know. And uh, we did that, you know, so I would bring them in. We did a lot, not just singing in the church, but we sang throughout the province at so many events. We sang at the province house. We sang at the lieutenant governor's house. Yeah. We were just, we were always in demand. They were asking us to sing. And uh, we sang, you know, um, uplifting songs, you know, yeah. songs of faith. Mm -hmm. and, uh, gospel, but we also sing a lot of songs that um, about being black and proud. Mm -hmm. And I taught them to be young, gifted, and black. Yeah, you know, yeah. and they they just loved all that. They, I did a play with them in terms of you know our, us as a people, where we come from, how we where we came from as a people, and the long struggle that we had. Yeah. where we are. Yeah. In the north end of Halifax and moved on. It, it was just wonderful. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of great memories. Yeah, that's a, that's um, an, in it's, an of, yeah. it's an enduring legacy, definitely. And, and and like you're right in the middle of all that. You're a, a huge part of that. I remember. Well, Jay knows because Jay was in the choir. <laughs> yeah, I was. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, you're a huge yeah, part of that. Yeah, I, I remember. Yeah. Remember I, the gown that you wore, Jay. <laughs> Pardon me? 
Remember those gowns that you remember those gowns that you wore, Jay? Yes, I I do. I do. They're all going through my mind right now. I'm having uh some flashbacks of nostalgic moments about the church and the choir. Yeah. 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 You you were one of the first people to encourage me to sing actually, you know? Yes. Yeah. 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 No, it's I got a, you and a few other guys to sing. Yeah, you were yeah, reluctant, yeah, I, but I got you guys to, to, to do a little quartet or something like that. I, remember. I do remember. Yeah, I remember the song. It was uh, "My God Will See You Through." He knows just what to do. He'll open up doors for you. I can't sing that now, but I remember that song. That was the song that uh, was one of my one of my uh, parts that I had to sing in the choir. Right, yeah. yeah so many of you often refer to that song and so many others. You know, um, it's, it's a wonderful testimony to um, that I cherish, you know, that God used me in that way and that so many of you were, you know, these songs, as children, they would mean one thing to you, but as you get older in life, that particular song takes on a whole different meaning in terms of what ha the course of your life. Like, you know, my God will see you through. You know, just what you do. You know, he'll open up doors for you. Yeah. He'll lift you up, you know, when you're down. You know, and there was one called Step in Jesus and Rescue Me. And I remember one of our guys, he told me, you know, in the later years, I often wonder where he was and how he was doing. He's doing much, much better today. But he told me that one time, you know, he got into some difficulties and he out west. And he was sitting in a, in a jail cell. And he said, you know, Lynn, he said, that song came to me. And I just sat there and I started singing. Step in Jesus and rescue me. Step in Jesus and rescue me. I know that you're able to rescue me. And he sang, you know, I said, wow, are you, that, that's what it's all about. You know, bring them up, train them. And when they get older, you know, they will not depart from it because all these things will mean so much more to them as they become adults. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And here he is today, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's very powerful. It, um, I could go on, so. <laughs> well, t- talking about uh, pillars of our community, you know, your father, uh, Delmore Buddy Day, I, knew, I, I just knew him as just Buddy Day because I saw him every day. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. talking about pillars of the, the community, like he, you know, Buddy was a, a pillar of the black community in all of Nova Scotia. You know, uh, yeah. tell you know what what did you learn from his legacy that you try to carry forward and pass on to the next generation? I I think I know what I learned was uh, a sense of stick to itness. Like, you know, you start something, Lynn, you say, Lynn, you started it, you know, you got to stick with it. And it's, and he also told us, he said, you got to find yourself not only at the table, but you got to find yourself in the trenches as well. Mm. And not everybody can do that, he said. So don't worry about it if some people can't get in the trenches. They're just fine at the table. But some people can get in the trenches. And they're also good at the table. And so I learned from Daddy how to be in the trenches and at the table. So I've been at many a table 
you know, in um, in education and in betterment of our people uh, in terms of this North End, especially and in terms of Nova Scotia. Been at lots of different tables where we, uh, my voice can make a difference, but I also know how what it is to march with and for and write letters with and for and on behalf of our people and, and what it is to take interviews, you know, over the years about what's going on in the various injustices that we had to address over the years in terms of education, employment, and housing, those type of issues. So I learned that Daddy always said, say what you mean and mean what you say. So yeah. look and listen and then say what you mean. And make sure that you're saying what you mean and you mean what you say. Because sometimes people go back on it and they forget. <laughs> but the people around the table and the people listening, they remember what you say. So try to remember who you, what you're saying and mean what you say. Yeah, and I was with them. You know, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the oldest of nine. Mm. And all of us had a, a, a tremendous impact with Daddy and... I think, look, now that we got older, we realized that we were in a home, as with so many other people too, but this thing called Afrocentric education, you hear of it, right? That term, being Afrocentric. Yep. But, well, well, we were in a home like that. We were were always guided with that. We were guided with the church. You know, we made, mom made sure we were in church. We were in Sunday school. We were in, the boys were in, the boy program, the girls were in the girls program, we were in choir, you know, we were in church. <laughs> we were brought up church kids, like so many other kids as well in our community. We were a church kid. And we were also brought up to be very social conscious, you know, social justice. It meant a great deal. We were brought up with Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. Daddy had the record. And we heard the Martin Luther King record. We knew how to sit and listen. Dad would have us sit and listen to the very speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King. And today, you know, it's January 15th, you know, the day in which Dr. King was born. But we also knew, Daddy wanted us to also know who Malcolm X was. And, you know, that we had an appreciation for both of these gentlemen and their contributions that they made to the struggle of our people. We grew up in homes with, you know, recognizing so many different people coming in and out of our home, like Reverend Dr. Oliver and, and you know, Dr. Carrie Beth and George McCurdy, and <laughs> Carolyn Thomas, Brad Partney, you know, Thomas Rashid. I, there's so many names that we go on about, uh, you know, with people that were always in and out of our home and, and certainly not. Uh, Rocky Jones and my dad did an awful lot of work together as well. You know, they were in and out of each other's homes, shared a lot in terms of what was going on in the community, how to best address it. And they, he came from this perspective, Rocky came from that perspective. But I can honestly tell you, I know I was in the trenches that they both were on the same page a great deal of time in terms of what had to be done in lifting this community and addressing the racism that was, you know, very prevalent in Nova Scotia. Hmm. Hmm. Very much so. 
Um, I, yeah, as as you mentioned, all these names and uh, you know, and and just the thoughts of the community. It it was a community like really built on uh, faith, and of course, the hub of that, which Derek and I talked about before, was the church. And the church, New Horizons now, back then was uh, Cornwall Street Baptist Church. And I remember traveling there each Sunday uh, and going there each Friday for those uh, Friday night uh, youth choir practices. And uh, I do remember all the time the sense of community and how many people we had there mentoring us and trying to make us be better, or at least passing on what we need to know to be strong in the community. We were lucky to have that, Derek and I. Um, but from your perspective now, the North End is a lot different. How do you feel about the black community being pushed out of the North End because of gentrification these days? Oh, um, it, it, uh, I'm pausing because whenever I bring, you know, whenever this subject comes up, because you're a tender subject, um, mm-hmm. Derek and Jay, it, it is. Um, when you realize, and we, I mean, we were just together as a family yesterday. We had a family, um, get together yesterday afternoon. And we were, no matter what fun we have, it seems like we always go back and we sit around the table and talk about, um, what the community is now in terms of what we had and who we were as a people and what happened and how did this happen, you know? And, yeah, it does pain our hearts because one of one of the things that we said yesterday was, oh, a lot of people will look at at uh, North End now, in particular, um, Maynard, Creighton, Garish, which is now Buddy Day Street, and especially Creighton. You'll say, you know, oh, look at the difference. Oh, look at these beautiful homes, and oh, look at, and so we, you know, it doesn't look nice and doesn't look great, and. Our, our response is, yeah, <laughs> it does. When we were growing up, when we lived here, we felt, we felt that, you know, this is our home and it's our community and we felt great about it. Sure, yes, we would have wanted things nicer and better, but why did it have, why do things have to become nicer, better, but without us? You know, and that. Yeah, it's going to be really good. It's going to be nice. We're going to build these beautiful homes, and we're going to build, um, remodel these homes. We're going to renovate these homes. Um, we're going to bring in apartment buildings and condos up here and all of the above. But, and there's a but, and the but is, uh, you will know, you will, your presence, that strong black presence, that community spirit will be less and less, and less. And so what we've seen is, sadly, that our homes um, were bought, you know, at very low prices. It had to have been. These homes were brought up, bought out by these people, um, and the developers that want to get in this community, and they had they had a long-term plan. And, you know, that long-term plan was that they liked this North End. They like where it is. They like where it's situated, and they want it. And you can't even say that they want it back because it was never really theirs. We thought we'd been here. I think I was trying to say to you last uh, last time we talked. There's some indication that we've been here in Creighton Street as a black community since the early 1800s. 
and yeah. people are sending their, their loved ones from every community across the Nova Scotia. Whenever you had to come to Halifax, you sent your loved one to Creighton Street and Gary Street. That's where our homes were. We had a great hall. It was Gary Street Hall. The Wilberforce Lodge was in there. We had a great bunch of uh, old elder men and women that were doing tremendous things. We talk a lot about uh, Viola Desmond and what happened to her. But you know what? It happened here in this community with the Nova Scotia Association for the Advancement of Colored People and the two people that she went to for help, that her father and mother went to for help because of, as a result of that incident, that horrible and racist incident, was the Reverend and Mrs. Pearlene Oliver, Reverend W.P. Oliver and his wife, Pearlene Oliver. They were, the, uh, they were the pillars at the time. People like my dad and other people were much younger. They were coming in <laughs> under the tutelage of men and women like uh, the Olivers. So that NSA ACT, you know, all part of this community, and everybody met. The meeting place was in the church hall. Yeah. So we miss a lot of life. We have, we have lost a lot. But I'll tell you that there's a spirit within our people that will not let go. There's a spirit within us. There's something within that we will not let go. There are so many of us that still have so strong a tie that you are even demonstrating it from Toronto. That tie, that bind, <laughs> that no matter what goes on, we will try to find our way back in here and have celebrations of some sort and remembrances, memorials, uh, street dance, street, <laughs> you know, street, uh, um, uh, parties, whatever you want to call them, but I mean, we had one a couple of years ago when Mom had her sixth, 90th birthday. We blocked off the street, you guys. Listen to me. This street was blocked off, and it was just like back in the day. Everybody came. The word was out, and it was a beautiful summer day, and it was just like back in the day. Yeah. And we had a great time all day. And late into the night, mm -hmm. into the night, music was coming. We rode in the middle of the street. Those yeah. are the things that we remember. So it's hard for our young people to get back into the community, to buy a home, even to rent a home. My son and many others would want very much to rent a home, and maybe even one day buy a home. But it's very difficult. It's very even to rent one. You know, they try to rent a home here on Main Street. And the price that they were quoted was $3,200 a month. Oh, my. Oh, my. The rent. The rent. $1,300 plus utilities. Wow. So the, the system is always designed that, that, you know, it's going to be that much harder for you to ever get back in. But we have young people that are uh, a younger generation that is really doing their utmost to still make a yeah. difference. And that leads to the next question, I guess. It's a good segue from the younger people. Um, uh, first of all, I mean, what's going on in Halifax, just hearing you speak about it in such a passionate way, 
um, yeah, these 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 stories about our community need to be told. We need to be told about the history of the pillars that help uh, lift up our community. And it's important for us. Yeah, Derek and I even know it's important for us to represent from here um, because doing this podcast has really opened up our our, the, our mind to the memories that we had and and some of the things that were done like even the gentrification that's happening now kind of harkens back to what kind of uh africville went through like it was kind of planned over time to systematically take something away because they wanted it um uh so what kind of things, what else can we do to help preserve the memory of the black community in, in Halifax, you know, especially the North end after seeing what happened to Africville? I, I, I think one of the, that, that call, um, there's, there's a few things that have come to my mind, you know, often. And one of them is you keep the conversation always going and never let, not ever let down on it. Right. Always keep it at the forefront. Whatever, whatever conversation, because when you have that conversation, from that comes other knowledge. You know, and somebody else can tell you, well, there's a board or there's a committee that, you know, there's an organization that's meeting to address X, Y, and C, and you'll find out that, oh, I, I need to um, find out more about that one and get involved in it. I find that the word reparation we can't let up on that. Mm-hmm. They, oh, they, quote, quotation marks, and they know who they are, we know who they are. They, oh, you know, what has happened to us as a people in this province has never been truly addressed. Not the way it should have been or could have been. And what happened to Africville? Horribly. Horrible. They need to give them back their homes. And that's what they need to do. But there is a strong group of Africville people who are and descendants that are meeting on a regular basis and that are working with the legal system to address this. And um, we just pray that, that their way and what they're doing will indeed, um, you know, come to fruition and and, um, and be helpful in terms of moving them as a people forward because they deserve that. What happened to us here on Creighton Street, you know, we want, you know, that um, this, we want recognition that this is a black community, that we were here, you know, and we want to, to keep telling the story in terms of how this thing happened to us and, you know, how this thing called gentrification can happen. And it not just happened in Halifax, Nova Scotia, but we understand it happens across Canada to various groups of people. It happens in the United States. We've been doing a lot of research in terms of black communities in the States where they, quote, decide that we like that area, we like that part of town, we want it, you know, that's prime property, how do you go about getting it, and money. And developers begin to talk. You know, and so we need to keep telling our story. Yeah, it's um, it's it, it's good. It's encouraging to hear that uh, there's so many um, younger people that are kind of taking up the mantle and and willing to 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 call things what they are. Like, and uh, me and Jay have come a little bit later to the table for this because we were kind of caught up living our lives and doing stuff, but. 
to come back and 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 put and put ourselves in the middle of this i think um we're we're seeing that uh you know things that have happened to our community and and, and we're willing to put ourselves out there and talk about it i think that's that's very important i think you're you're really right melinda uh melinda this has been a great conversation thank you so much for your time do, do you have anything else to add before we wrap up I, I'm, I'm just thrilled that, uh, to be a part of it, to have this little small part of it. I, I so appreciate the call, uh, just having this very conversation with you to, uh, to, uh, it warms my heart and encourages me. And, um, I'm still out there. I'm near those trenches every day. From <laughs> <laughs> time to time, I serve on various Various boards and committees, and you know, still remaining quite active in the church and community. That's just who I am. I'll be that person, and I'm so encouraged uh, by young men like you and the sisters that are out there that just continue to wear the banner and hold it high. And uh, they come with such a strong sense of pride and integrity. I, I love it. I love it, and uh, I just, um, you know. I have to say, God bless you. You know what you're doing. And as long as you put him first, he will guide every move that you have. Every move. Both of you were raised in the church, with religion, in prayer. So you know that everything that you do will be guided by him if you put your trust in him. So I wish you all the best. Mm -hmm. Thank, Thank you, you. Melinda. That's, that's, that's much appreciated. Much appreciated. Very much so. Um, you know, uh, yeah, like this whole conversation to hear you speak about some of the things that you've seen, some of the things that you've done, uh, some of the legacy that you carried on, you know, from from Buddy Day um, and, uh, you know, that spirit and that sense of uh justice uh of black people and black community you carried on that legacy and you know and and being one of our mentors we can look at that and go okay so like derek said we're willing to to pass the torch now but um and carry the torch into the next one because i think that's where the the where things get better if we can just get the next generation and the next generation the next generation to keep talking about these things where you know these things don't become an issue anymore because it's been way way too long and um talking to you gives us hope and um faith to keep up the good fight so thank you great conversation thank you so much right. guys You have been listening to Down Home. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. On a high plateau, from the one down below to the future of the funk, getting lost in the flow. Contact with the spot, McX. Now it's time to flex with the force from the soul, reaching all aspects, getting deep. No time to sleep as you reach your next phase, laying it all on the line. New trail start to blaze, it's a fire inside. A brand new path, breaking down the sum to one, feeling free. I just laugh with the joy of a beat boy, just kicking it live. A connection so strong, transcribed with the vibe like magic prescribed. Only to see the perfect blend like a diamond in the, the song, song. Breaking New Ground. So 
from the breakdown. Revolution starts with the evolution of the mind. It's a rhythm of circumference that rotates around to the surface with a purpose. Breaking new ground. Breaking new.